listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Just so good to be able to welcome and have each one of you here this morning and uh, gather together and uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And um, kids, at this time, the ushers are coming forward with some, uh, some sheets for you to keep active and to follow along a little bit this morning, as well as if you don't have a Bible, when we used to meet at the theater, seems like a long time ago, we would hand out Bibles, and uh, there are Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible, and if you're at one of our gathering locations today, encourage you to um, go and get a Bible now or after the service and take that home. That is our gift to you. We don't want it back. And um, so that is our gift to you. We believe in God's Word. And if you're watching online and don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we will get you a Bible. Just take and uh, fill out an online connection card and we would love to connect you up in that way. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at that in a moment, and I just can't help but to say how good it is to be able to gather together as the Church of Jesus Christ, to gather in person, as well as those of you that are watching online from wherever you may be watching online. It is so important for us to remember that the church is not just an event that we show up to on a Sunday. It's not just something we attend. It is not even just a building, obviously not. The locations where we are meeting for this weekend are not a physical church so-called building, community halls and a German harmony hall. And, uh, and, and we're thankful to be able to do this. The church is not a building, but the church is people. It is a family. And to gather regularly together as God's people is biblical. It's a command. And I can say, honestly, too, it is very, very necessary that we do it. And now live stream and online church is great, being able to podcast and listen to preachers from around the world, but believe me, none of that is a replacement for the real thing. It is kind of like a bridesmaid, what a bridesmaid is to a bride, helpful, but not the real deal. And for some, there are legitimate reasons why you are unable and at this point, un, because of health and, and various concerns, not able to join us in person. And, that's, and, and there's other good and understandable reasons why some of you weren't able to make it out this weekend or maybe for this next season you will be unable to do that. But online church or Zoom, Zoom groups are, are sweet and they're really helpful. Um, and they're a helpful lifeline but they are not to be a replacement. And, and at times, there, as I said, there are legitimate reasons and concerns why you aren't able to join us at this time. Just wish this pandemic thing would be over and we could resume as normal. And yet even in this, God is at work. And God is strengthening and he is also really kind of exposing, in, in many ways, the hearts of people, whether that be in politics, in, 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 in government, in, and even within the body of Christ. And we hope and we pray, if you're unable to join us um, in a physical gathering, we hope and pray that you are well and that certain conditions may change in your life soon or shortly in the next little while. And uh, if you have prayer concerns or if there's a way that we can be a help to you as a church, please let us know. Fill out an online connection card. There's a place for prayer requests as well as a place for you to let us know how we could perhaps serve you. 
However, one of the things about not gathering and online church is, is that for some, it can become rather convenient. And the sad thing about convenience is that it can easily lead to complacency and a drifting away from community. And I'm hearing stories after stories about that across Canada from various pastors. People are just like, you know, we're going to just stick with online church. And, you know, we get to it when we can. We're a few weeks behind. And, and, and that's kind of all that it seems that, that, that they're giving to the Lord at this time. And that's concerning. It's difficult to thrive in isolation. And recognizing our flesh, and our flesh will always draw us away from God. That's the natural bent that we were born with. Recognizing that our, the world, our own flesh, the devil, will drive us and push us towards isolation, towards selfishness, or to distraction, or to other groups, or, 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 or interests, things that, that we get busy in. And we may have community there, but it's not biblical community. And the enemy wants nothing more than to see us out of biblical community. And biblical community is so important. And that is why this fall we are making and taking great strides to gather together as much as we are able to on Sundays, as well as in our midweek groups as they get going again. Again, great strides in securing rental locations on Sundays as well as through the week they're being made. It's a lot of work. There are a team of people working on this, headed by Elaine Embry, and we're so thankful for the work that, that she is doing and the policies that have to be written and presented to boards and to committees in order to get approved. There's so much red tape, but we believe the expense and the work towards this is worth it because you are worth it, and so we desire to do this. And yes, our relationship with God, you might be thinking, well, my relationship with God is personal. It's kind of a personal, intimate relationship I have with God, and that's all I need. Yes, that's true, and that's good. That's where it starts. Our, our relationship with God is personal. It is vertical. It is between us and God. It is where it all starts. It is between me and God. But it's also horizontal. It's a horizontal relationship where it's we and God. And that is why commitment to the local church is vital. It's biblical, and it's how the architect, God, designed his family or his building to be. And here at Hope, we have a, have particular, we have a particular culture. We have certain behaviors and values that we tolerate, we celebrate, and we seek to replicate, all based on God's word and how God has wired us as a church we are big on the Bible. We see God's word as important. It is our authority. That's what we love to preach from God's word. We believe strongly in the power of prayer. We believe in Christ-centered worship, in intentional and, and helpful discipleship, a plan towards discipling people towards maturity in Christ, as well as church planting and evangelism. We're amped up. We, these are our, our bold values for us. And gathering together corporately on a Sunday, gathering together in groups is part of our culture. It is important. We believe that, that group gatherings throughout the week and, and gatherings on Sunday morning is a way that we foster spiritual growth. We encourage it through deepening relationships. There's accountability that takes place. Between us and God, there is growth that happens and with one another. And we believe it is vital for our spiritual growth. 
And our hope, our plan, our prayer is that we will continue with these Sunday gatherings. We trust that, that, that guidelines given to us by our government will allow this to continue to happen. We have two more dates planned for the remainder of September and October. So, so up until the end of October, there are two more live gatherings on Sundays taking place. And, uh, but beyond that, and what we're doing during that time is building, Lord willing, some core teams at each one of these locations where the core team, and you can be a part of this, we want people to sign up and be a part of these teams where you are together working, serving, welcoming, praying, greeting, and being a gospel witness in these three different locations in Central, Kelowna, as well as in the, on the west side as well as in the Lake Country, Oyama area. And Lord willing, starting November 1st, we will be then desiring, planning, preparing, praying towards meeting every Sunday through November and into December. And so more details will come on that. Again, a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of expense, but we believe you and we believe the mission of God is worth it. As we talked about last week, the mission marches on. And these can be exciting days for the church of Jesus Christ. And so today as we get into God's word in 1 Peter, we are continuing in this series. We started it quite a while ago. We haven't looked at First Peter. We've taken a break since August 2nd, I believe. And we are slowly working through this amazing book. This is our ninth message, and there's probably another nine to go in this book, this letter that, that Peter wrote to the churches and that he, he by the Holy Spirit, has, has written for us. And I trust that we can gain understanding and we get a glimpse together as we look look at what God is building in us and through us as the body of Christ. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He's writing to believers who are facing growing and mounting persecution for their faith. Persecution has already started in the Roman Empire and it's intensifying and it's spreading. And so this kind of persecution that they were facing included it starting out as alienation. But then it became aspects where they, the people started to suffer. There was torture, imprisonment, and death. And according to historical accounts, approximately one year after Peter wrote this letter, Peter himself was crucified upside down at the hands of and command of Emperor Nero. And so 1 Peter is a very helpful book to turn to when we are facing trials, when we are facing uncertain times. It is a letter filled with great encouragement as well as great practical teaching. And again, so timely for today, for where we are at as a society, where we are at as a church, and where we are at as individual believers. And in our passage, passage today, we are reminded of what God is building. That he is building a community, a spiritual family that will carry on, not just for time here in the central Okanagan in 2020, but he's building a family. He's building a community. He's building a building of people set and fit for eternity that will go on forever. And you see, when trials and difficulties come our way, which they are guaranteed and which some of you are in in some major ways even right now in your life, there can be a strong temptation to pull away from community, to pull away from others, to pull away from the church in the very time that we need it the most. And you might say to, to me, well, Meldon, uh, I have friends. I, I, I have community. I have Christian friends. I have my own community. 
I don't really need church. I'll kind of pick and choose. I'll go here and there. I'll podcast here. I'll watch this service. But I don't need to be connected. I don't need to be committed to a local body. But you see, biblical community and what we see, and we're getting this from God's word, is yes, it is about you. It's about you in relationship. And yes, it is about your friends and, and having community with them. But it is also about others. Other people who are different than you, that have different needs, that have different life experience, maybe different ages, different um, status uh, in, in relationships, whatever it might be. And, and so it's about you. It's, yes, it's about your friends. And yes, it is about others. But it's also about biblically qualified qualified elders and pastors that are watching over, caring for you as a part of the body of Christ. You see, that is what biblical community is, and that is what God desires to build. That is what he is desiring us to be a part of. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, where we left off in early August, and we pick up at a very timely part in the passage today, starting in verse 4. So reading, you can follow along in your Bibles. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen and amen and amen. In this passage today, we see that when it comes to building God's house, we can see at least three very important realities. Realities that call us to examine our lives, to repent where needed, and rearrange our lives around God's mission. And we need to get behind and be a part of what God is building here on this earth and which will one day be in eternity. And as we talked last week, the mission marches on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus gave us that promise that he is building his church. You want to be a part of something that's going to last forever? You want to be a part of something that Jesus is building? It is the church of Jesus Christ. But building God's house, first of all, requires the right foundation. Now, Peter, he's using the imagery of a building here where rocks are chosen, gathered, and then carefully and purposefully placed in a very particular order in order for there to be a building. That's how they would do construction back in the ancient Near East. Wood was scarce. It was expensive. Rocks were plentiful, so they built homes, they built houses, they built temples out of stone. And that's just the way they did it. So this was very live imagery for the people there. In verse 4, Jesus is referred to as, look at it in your Bibles, Jesus is referred to as the living stone. And then in verse 6 and 7, he's also referred to as the cornerstone. Now, 
The cornerstone was a very special stone. It was a specially chosen stone or rock that would be placed first. And just like today, the foundation of a building is absolutely essential. You can have the most beautiful, most amazing, most expensive, high-end home or building, and if the foundation is bad, cracked, or is crumbling, you are in trouble, and it won't be good. Now, the exciting thing and the neat thing about being part of the body of Christ and being part of a local church is that you get to see and you get to realize that we have very so many different gifted people in our church. Dave Ritchie is, is one who builds rock walls. Just take a look at some of the pictures here of some of the before and after. Just look at this first one here of, of his, his machine there. That I mean, talk about a boy going out and having fun in the gravel and the stones, hey? I mean, and just the beautiful work that he does. And just look at some of the progression of, of, of this house here. You're going to see over the next six pictures, I believe, just the progression going from nothing, a pile of stones, and now you start to see them getting placed. And you just see how beautiful this starts to look and, and, and how everything is in place. Now, Dave told me this week that, that when it comes to building a rock wall, the first wall or the first rock, the first stone is absolutely important. It's choosing the way that it is, the way that it sits, its placement is absolutely vital for the rest of the wall. Everything flows out of that first rock that is chosen. Now here, we see Jesus as the cornerstone here in 1 Peter. And, and that is just such a living and an important example for us. Just as the first stone that, that goes into a rock wall is so important, the foundation is so important, it says Jesus is the cornerstone. He is chosen and precious to God. He is God's one and only Son. And just as every stone is chosen, placed, and squared, in, and, and, and connected to the cornerstone, and to that rock wall of an ancient building the same way that we are as believers in Christ connected to the cornerstone, that being Jesus. You see, we, if we are in Christ, we are chosen, we are placed, we are connected to Jesus. We are to measure every part of our lives onto Jesus. We bring our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions in line with the word of God, in line with the life and the words of Jesus. And we do this not in our power, in our own strength, because we can't, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus provides, he is the cornerstone. He provides a solid foundation. He brings stability. He brings completeness. He brings authority into our lives through his word. He's the one that everything holds together when it comes to the building. He holds our lives together. He holds our eternities together in Christ. And he produces a life that is solid, that is beautiful, that is strong, that is eternal. And so I wonder today, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? He can be the cornerstone of of your life if you have never committed your life to Christ. If you would say, no, he's not the cornerstone yet, I'll tell you how he can become the cornerstone of your life. And it starts by admitting that you are a sinner. You see, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, God's standard, God's perfection, his holiness. And because of that standard and us not being able to meet it, it means that we have all sinned. And it means that we 
then will incur the penalty for that sin, which is ultimately death, eternal separation away from God. But he becomes this cornerstone by first of all knowing and understanding that God loves us. God loves us, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, his precious stone. He gave his son to this earth who came as a baby, lived a perfect life, performed miracles, proved his divinity over and over again, lived this perfect life, and then died a a substitutionary death on the cross, though he did nothing wrong. He died the criminal death on the cross, and there he took our sin, and he bore our shame. He took our guilt, and his death satisfied God's wrath and God's punishment for our sin. What we deserve got placed on Jesus. He took our sin and we received his grace, his forgiveness, his perfection, his justice. It was placed on us, his justification. And by placing our faith and our trust in what Jesus Christ has done and and turning to him as our Lord and our Savior, we are then forgiven. We become his adopted sons or daughters in Christ And the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that moment, we see that you have been chosen, that you are one of God's children, and that God then places you into his family, or in this case, into his building, into the building that he is building where he is the cornerstone. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and turns from their sin, turns from going their way and say, God, I'm tired of going my way. I want to follow your way. That life in that moment, in, a, in, in, in just the second that that person surrenders their life to Christ as Lord and Savior, that life, that, that dead stone of a life is then taken and quarried out of the pit of sin that leads to death and is brought into and placed in and cemented into God's spiritual house. And what, God, and, and what God builds, when God builds a house, it is forever, it is eternal. And you and I, if we are in Christ, we will stand, we will live forever in eternity. The moment we pass from this earth, the very split second we take our last breath and our heart stops pumping, in that very second we'll wake up in eternity forevermore with the Lord. That's only for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have made him the cornerstone. And so I ask you today, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? If not, turn to him today. Surrender your life to him today. But who or what is the cornerstone? Because something is, or someone is. You see, your cornerstone is whatever you turn to when the other parts of your life seem to crumble. Where do you run to? Where do you turn? Where do you find hope? Is it in your money? Is it in your retirement? Is it in your family or friends? Maybe you have strong family and friends. Is it in a relationship or a certain status that you have? Is it in talents or or physical abilities or in your strength? Or maybe, maybe your cornerstone is something that you run to when life crumbles around you. You run to to find relief or control or escape. Perhaps it's an addiction. Maybe it's marijuana or alcohol or pornography or food or, or, or binge watching or sh- binge shopping or scrolling. And you just run to that as an escape. 
None of that is going to stand. None of the things that we have turned into fake or false cornerstones will stand the test of time. There's only one cornerstone that saves. There's only one that gives real life. There's only one that we can build our lives on. There's only one that we can build our hopes, our dreams, and our eternity on, and that is Jesus. And perhaps you have made Jesus Christ the cornerstone of your life at one point, at one time in your life, but if you were to do a careful and honest audit of your heart, of your life, the truth would be is that you have turned to other things or to other people to be the cornerstone of your life. And please, I beg you and encourage you, repent if that's the case. Turn away from whatever is that false cornerstone in your life and turn to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone who, who loves and cares. We need to repent, return to the solid stone, to Jesus. The second, secondly, when it comes to building God's house, we, we, we must understand that we all have a part in it. Not only is the foundation important, but we all have a part. And if Christ is the cornerstone and together with him, we are living stones, we are connected with Christ and interconnected with one another. This is the we-ness, I, I don't know if that's a real word or not, it's the we-ness of our faith. We are now to be, a, we, as we are connected to the cornerstone, we are connected to one another, we are to be about his mission. And what God wants, we desire in our lives to follow. And it's understanding that, that we all have a part Every one of us. The New Testament describes the church with many different metaphors. We see in the New Testament, the church is, is a body and we're all members of it. It's a family and we all ha play a certain part in the family. Or a flock and we are the sheep. He is the shepherd. Or a vine. He, he, he is, uh, we have that imagery. But here we have the imagery of a building. And we all have a part of this building. We are all cemented into the building that God is desiring to build. You see, we just don't go to church. We are the church. And we all have a part in it. In verse 5, it says, We are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Then in verse 9, there's similar wording, and it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, underline that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of his name who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And oh, there's just so much in the, this passage, in these verses. There's so much depth, so much significance, and so little time. And so just, just look at, at, at a couple of these things just quickly with me, we all have a part. In verse 9, it says that we are to be proclaimers, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him. We are to share our story. We are to share Christ with, with those around us. We, we need to share with others how we needed and we continue to need the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and how we have found it in Jesus Christ. We proclaim, we are proclaimers of his mercy because once we didn't have it, but now we have it. And we are proclaim this good news with our lives and with our lips. In verses 5 and 9, it, it, we're referred to as a holy priesthood. 
And, and this is kind of interesting. If you are in Christ, if Christ is the cornerstone of your life, you are in a holy priesthood. You are part of a royal priesthood. Holy, royal priesthood. We see this imagery here. Turn to your neighbor right where you're at right now and say, you're a priest. I'm a priest. Do it right now. You're a priest. I'm a priest. Crazy. You didn't think you were coming to church today. You didn't think you were tuning in to find out that you're a priest. Well, you are. If you're in Christ, you're a priest. You're part of a royal priesthood. Now, kind of remember, um, a number of years ago, we were pastoring in Alberta, and I did a wedding for a couple. Okay, it was a good number of years ago, and uh, it was in a church in kind of a small, main, it was a small mainline church in small town Alberta that had some really cool stained glass windows. And so this couple from our church rented this church for, to have their wedding there. And when the caretaker was kind of showing me around the, the church building and the back room where they said I could get changed and that, there I saw some priestly gowns. And because I was youthful and immature, I figured, I'm going to put one of these on. And so I came out for the rehearsal wearing one of these nice priestly gowns. And uh, I tried, I tried, I tried to find a picture of it, but I just couldn't. I know there is a picture somewhere out there. Now, it was kind of interesting as I came out, and of course it seemed kind of funny and comical, and it got kind of a reaction out of people. But a part of me, if I was to be honest, it kind of made me feel a little bit, a little more holy. It's just like, wow, this is so beautiful. This long flowing gown, and it was all decorated so nicely. Now, we might be tempted to, to think that wearing certain clothes or a gown in, in this case, or a robe of some sort, or performing certain religious rituals or duties, or showing up to church today, or tuning in online, that, that in doing these kind of things, it kind of makes us holy and kind of gets us in good with God, and therefore we're acceptable to Him. But no works of righteousness, nothing that we can do can give us the holiness that God requires. The holiness that God requires only comes through Jesus Christ. And it is through him, in what I described earlier, where we are declared and made holy because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done. And because of his grace and mercy, we then desire to live a holy life. That we desire to be this holy nation that Peter is talking about here. Out of a grateful response to God. That is why we pursue a life of Christ-likeness and holiness. But Peter here calls us a holy nation. A royal priesthood. And, and in the, you see, in the Old Testament, the priests, the priests of Israel came from a certain chosen tribe from a certain chosen family. They had a unique and very special responsibilities and opportunities. And not only did they have special responsibilities, they had special access to God that the others did not have. You see, they were chosen and they were trained to help and assist in the worship of God's people, to help draw the hearts of the people back to God. And part of their function, part of the responsibilities included offerings, animal sacrifices that they would give to God, that they would sacrifice on the altar on behalf of the people. But you see, when Jesus died on the cross, and when he breathed his last breath, the veil in the temple, the massive curtain was torn in two. 
the veil, the curtain that led into the Holy of Holies, into the place where the presence of God could go, where the presence of God was. And the high priest could only go there on one day, on the Day of Atonement. And there he would take and sprinkle blood over the altar, signifying and, and declaring that the people's sins were being atoned for. Well, when Jesus died and breathed his last and the temple was, the veil in the temple was torn in two, it signified that Jesus, the great high priest, his death was the once and for all substitute. It, he was the once and for all sacrifice. His perfect life covered our sins once and for all. And so now, whoever places their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and is saved and forgiven has 24-7 access to God. No longer do we have to go through a priest. Not only was there one day a year that our sins would be forgiven, our sins can be forgiven every day, every moment. And, And sometimes, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. It is so needed, his grace and his forgiveness in our lives. We don't need to go to a priest. We are now a kingdom of priests. And just as as priests in the Old Testament offered sacrifices to God, we now, as a kingdom of priests, as a holy priesthood, we now are to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Thankfully, not animal sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament. But here are some of the spiritual sacrifices. You're going to see them listed along with some scripture verses that I encourage you to write down and look them up this week. Here we see spiritual sacrifices that we see in, in God's Word. Specifically, we see these, most of them, in the New Testament. First of all, we offer our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we daily offer ourselves and say, God, I'm yours. God, you bought me, you redeemed me, you love me, you care for me, you have a plan for me, and God, I I am yours today. I want you to use me for your good and for your glory today. And we pray that every day. We sacrifice ourselves to him, our bodies to him. We, We offer a sacrifice of praise and worship in Hebrews 13. This means that we sing. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. And some of you, some of us, it is a joyful noise. Not just when we feel like it or it's a song we like and, you know, they're singing in the way that I like the song to be sung. No, it's a sacrifice of praise and worship that we offer to God. It is a special offering that we give to him through our lives, through our lips. And this is oftentimes when God meets us, when we turn our hearts, our, our, our mind, our lips, our, our, our attitudes, our everything towards God in worship that he meets his people. Then there is the spiritual sacrifice of prayer, carving out time daily to, to talk and to meet with God. And that sacrifice could and should be one of the most, of the greatest blessings in our lives. Then there's sacrifice of giving and doing good. By nature, we're selfish people. We spend our time, our treasure, our talents on ourselves, our wants, our hopes, our dreams, our desires. But as a kingdom of priests, we are to give ourselves first and foremost, our first and our best to God. And in the coming weeks, you have opportunity to do some priestly work in prayer, but also in joining one of these core teams for our various locations, teams to oversee, to help, to serve, doing priestly duties. What, in order to see people find Christ. This is what we are to do. And so there's a great opportunity for us to roll up our sleeves. But also in offering another spiritual sacrifice is offering our love. You see, true love is hard. It's costly. 
It means a giving of ourselves, a giving of ourselves, extending ourselves, forgiving others, forgiving others and not retaliating, forgiving and, and perhaps in rather than extending a knuckle sandwich or a really sharp, sarcastic comment to someone, we offer them grace and love and forgiveness. Another spiritual f- sacrifice is sharing Christ with the lost. We are praying that these communities that we're gathering in this weekend, that we're trusting that we'll be able to continue to keep gathering in for the months ahead, where we're having these services that we will see many people from these communities and the people that you invite to come to church with you or people who see the signs or the advertising to join us, to, that they would come to Christ, that we'd share Christ with them, that we'd share Christ with our neighbors and our coworkers and see them then as they come to Christ grow up and be discipled in him. These are just some of the ways that we as a kingdom of priests can work and sacrifice for Christ. And thirdly, building God's house means that we will face rejection. We will face opposition. In verses 4 and 6 and 8, we see that Peter reminds us that Jesus was rejected. And in verse 8, we need to realize and understand that people in our lives will stumble and be offended by our faith and our decision to follow Christ. To follow his word and his ways will be offensive even to family members, co-workers, and friends. When we choose and say, I choose to follow what God's word says here and take the higher standard when it comes in, in, our, in our dealing, when it comes with our work and our finances, in decisions we make, in the conversations we have, we will pay a price. You see, it is impossible to grow in Christ-likeness, to live for Christ in obedience without becoming an offense to others. Because you will, that will happen. Christ who lived a perfect life, who did nothing but serve and to give himself, became an offense to people. And they crucified him. Look at this verse in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think we have it here on the screen. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil pe- people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You want to live a godly life? You will be persecuted. It's going to happen. And standing for Jesus, at times it will not be easy. It will cost, especially with the storm clouds that we're seeing building on the horizon for Christianity in North America, with biblical values and teaching being watered down and maligned and criticized and perhaps we'll start suffering forms of persecution for it. Christian values are being completely obliterated day after day in the media. And yet, when one truly finds Christ and he is the cornerstone of our lives, he is the pearl of great price, the treasure more valuable than everything and anyone anything in this world, because of our understanding of the saving grace, the saving work that he's done for us, we will willingly face opposition, ridicule, and rejection, and he will be with us every step of the way, knowing that he is standing with us and he is standing for us, because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that is worthy. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads at this time. And just as before I pray here, I would love you to consider these questions. What foundation are you building your life on today? 
where are you placing your hope? Is it in Jesus or something or someone else? My hope, my prayer, my trust is that it is in Christ alone that he is the cornerstone of your life. Second of all, are you making spiritual sacrifices for Christ and his kingdom? How is that reflected in your weekly activities? In your finances, in your time, your treasure, your talents? And thirdly, with Jesus, his word and and, and as a community and as a family, he's building and what he's desiring to build here, we believe here at Hope Bible Church here in the central Okanagan. There is a strength and encouragement. Are you part of a church family? And are you willing to endure difficulties and hardship for the sake of Christ to face whatever will come your way? He is worthy and he empowers and strengthens us because he is the cornerstone. And God, I just even pray right now that in our heart of hearts that we would all be examining where we are at with you today. That you would be the chief cornerstone in all of our lives. And if you are not, may we quickly get to that point today and place you back there or for the first time as the cornerstone of our lives. And God, would we see ourselves as a kingdom of priests, that we are making spiritual sacrifices daily out of a joy and with a thankful heart, overflowing because of what you have done for us in the gospel. And that we would endure whatever comes our way, we would be strengthened and we'd be ready to face the opposition that could come tomorrow, to face the opposition and the storm clouds rising with culture and with the way our society is turning against God's word. Would we be strong? Would we be emboldened? Would we knit together as the body of Christ? Continue to build your church here. But would we determine, would we declare you as that cornerstone? And if we're feeling weak today, that we know that we are made strong because of you, not because of our power and our strength, but because of you.